Good morning. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to Numbers chapter 13. Numbers chapter 13 over in the Old Testament. And uh, I'm going to hit several passages of Scripture before I get to that, but that's my key passage, Numbers chapter 13, then a little bit in chapter 14. But we are in the midst of a Daring Faith series. Daring Faith. And throughout this series, um, I hope that your faith will be stretched. I hope that my faith will be stretched. Faith is a pretty big deal to God. A uh, couple passages, Romans 1.17, this good news tells us how God makes us right in his sight. This is accomplished from start to finish by what? By faith. As the scripture says, it is through what? Faith that a righteous person has life. And then check out Hebrews uh, 11.6. And without what? Without faith, it is impossible to please God. Not hard, not difficult, not unlikely, not without faith, it is impossible to please God because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. But the question is, what is faith? And there's multiple definitions. I think a pretty basic one that I, I would agree with is faith is confidence and trust in who God is and what God says. Faith is confidence and trust in who God is and what God says. Um, you, you can think of faith that, you know, when I talk about faith this morning, there's really multiple facets or, you know, it's like a diamond ring. You know, there's multiple facets and we could speak on several different angles of faith, but what I want to talk about this morning, I want to talk about it from the perspective faith is seeing from God's point of view. Faith is seeing from God's point of view. Um, faith means that there's more to this world than what we see with our eyes. Okay, but, but first, before we talk about faith and what faith is, let's talk about what faith isn't. Faith isn't simply desire. You can hope for something, but that doesn't mean it's faith. You can wish for something, but that doesn't mean it's faith. Faith isn't desire. Uh, faith is not pretending that something is true that's not really true. Okay, so when I sit down and I see what's on my plate for lunch and I see about eight or ten of those little mini carrots uh, on my plate, uh, I can wish that those are cheese puffs all day long. They look really similar. They're about the same size. They're the same color. But no matter how much faith I say I've got, there's still going to be carrots, not cheese puffs. Um, faith is not psyching yourself up, you know, to believe something is true that's really not. Faith is not simply a feeling. And the list goes on of things that faith isn't. What's faith? Or at least the element of faith that I want to talk about this morning. It's the fact that faith is a way of seeing the world from God's point of view. Seeing it through God's eyes. 
Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1 says, Now faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. Faith is being sure of things we do not see. Uh, the Bible says that faith really is the way that a Christian sees. Faith resides at the core of Christianity. Like we read earlier, without faith, it's impossible to please God. Without faith, you can't. It's all about faith. So we're talking about seeing the world the way God sees the world. And there's always, there's always more than one way to see something. Would you agree? If, if you've been in community with one person for more than four minutes in your life, you know that there's multiple ways to see things. If you're married, you know that's true. Think about the little garter snake that you find in your basement laundry room in front of the washing machine. This happened to me and Krista a few years back, and it was a very rough patch in our marriage. Um, <clears throat> you know, I, I go downstairs, you know, she calls me all panicked. There, there's a snake in our laundry, you know. And I, I'm, you know, she can make it sound like there's some 30-foot an anaconda wrapped around something. Um, and so I go down the steps, and I see this little garter snake, totally harmless, in front of the washing machine. And I can assure you of this. It did not seem that we were looking at the same thing. It did not seem that we were in the same, we weren't on the same planet. You know, because <clears throat> I see this harmless little garter snake. I think, oh, that's kind of cool. You know, I'm thinking, oh, I could take this and have a little fun with somebody who, who doesn't appreciate snakes and help build our relationship. <laughs> you know, we could name it, name it Fred, whatever, I don't know. Uh, in fact, I'm, how many here do not like snakes? Let me see your hands. Okay, I, I have this fun little video that um, it will add zero value to your day. Can I just tell you? <laughs> it will add zero to the sermon. It will add zero value to your day. But it's, it's about a snake, and we're talking about snakes. So let's, if you, and you got to listen. You got to listen, not for words, but for sounds. All right, go ahead. Show this real quick. This is me, the snake whisperer. I asked my daughter to follow me outside and just video. I'm, I'm kind of like a puma. <laughs> Gazelle-like reflexes. Now listen, listen to this here in a minute. <clears throat> Did you hear her little, mm-hmm, dad? Do you know what that meant? That meant, dad, I will stick a knife in your throat if you take one more step toward me. That meant, dad, we, our family will disown you forever if you take one more step this direction. Yeah, I just saw it as a way to have fun. Krista sees that snake in the laundry room a little different. 
Uh, Krista would have preferred a worldwide zombie apocalypse take place rather than to have a little garter snake laying in front of her washing machine. She saw it completely different than I would. And, and, and in her mind, and trust me, if it's in her mind, it's real. In her mind, when she sees that little garter snake in front of the washing machine, there are a thousand other snakes in her house. And they're big. And they've got fangs. And there's big ones under our bed and big ones in our pile of clothes and big ones in the... And, and the very, very first thing that's going to come out of Chris's mind in that situation is, where's the mama? You know, because to her, it's just a whole different case scenario. And so to me, that kind of illustrates, oh, yeah, I guess, you know, we're looking at the same thing, same time, same situation, same surroundings, same circumstances. But, man, we are seeing this thing completely different. I think of taking our kids when they were little to the doctor. You know, they have a, just some well checkup visit, something, you know, nothing, nothing major. And uh, so when that would happen, sometimes Krista would take them, depending on what she had gone, sometimes I would. But what I did, I, I enjoyed it. I, I looked at it as a few moments of getting out of the office and going and hanging out, spending a little extra time with, you know, Caleb or Cody or Taylor, one of them. And, and I just had a great time with it. And, you know, and then I'd go, hey, after we get back from the doctor's appointment, I'll take you through the McDonald's drive through and get you something you know, to eat and pull up the McDonald's drive-thru, and I'll go, okay, and the kids love this. You can have two things off the dollar value menu, two things, and that includes your drink, and if you're a pastor's kid, you get this. That includes your drink, so if you, if you get water, technically you get three things because water is free. I loved those moments of those little doctor's appointments with my kids. My kids didn't. Um, my kids might as well been, I don't know what they're thinking. You know, they, they picture this little, you know, as to take a little wooden tongue depressor and press it on their, their tongue, I mean, they think they're dying. They were scared to death. I saw as a moment of spending extra time with my kids, getting out of the office for a few minutes, having a little fun, hitting McDonald's. They see it as I don't know what. Listen, if you're around people for more than three or four minutes, you know there are multiple ways to see things. What, what matters, though, is not how I see things. What matters is not how you see things. What matters is how God sees things. And faith is learning to see things from God's point of view. The Bible has many, many examples of this. Uh, I'll give you a few quickly. Genesis 21, there's a story about Hagar and her son Ishmael, who had been cast out by Abraham because Abraham's wife was jealous. And basically, Hagar, they're cast out into the desert. And, you know, they're... Uh, they're going to die. There's no water or any of that. And, and so Hagar prays, Lord, please, you know, don't let me watch my son die. God opens her eyes and she sees a well of water in the middle of the desert. God opened her eyes. 
2 Kings chapter 6 talks about Elisha and his servant by the name of Gehazi. We'll call him G for short. Um, and they see how this enemy nation is coming to attack the children of Israel. They're coming to attack the Jews and this massive army. And, and G, Elisha's servant, is scared to death. He's frightened. And Elisha says, Gehazi, I don't, I don't want you to be scared. I don't want you to live in fear. I don't want you to be upset. And, and Elisha prays, God, open his eyes, the eyes of my servant. And suddenly his spiritual eyes are open and he, he sees that they're surrounded by a, a realm of just angels protecting them, fighting with them, fighting for them, circling the city of Jerusalem. His eyes are opened and he's no longer afraid. After the resurrection, there were two disciples walking down the road and obviously greatly discouraged i can see him as they're just staring down at the dirt and kicking rocks down the road and just you know feeling just discouraged suddenly someone comes up alongside of them and joins in on the conversation and they're still just kind of moping in discouragement and they don't realize who it is or what's going on and they get in conversation with him they invite him in for dinner to enjoy dinner with them and and when they sit down and he gives thanks for the dinner, God opens their eyes and they realize that it's Jesus himself sitting there with them. Jesus is in their midst. God opened their eyes. That's what God wants to do for us in the Staring Faith series. Um, it boils down to this, and you choose... You can either look through eyes of fear or you can look through eyes of faith. You can either see everything through eyes of fear or you can see everything through eyes of faith. It's that simple. Uh, a couple months ago, Pastor Mark Fuller was here preaching, and, and I want to circle back to a story uh, that he shared from uh, Numbers chapter 13 and 14. And I, I want to pull a little bit more out of that this morning, which illustrates this perfectly. So here's the background of that story in Numbers Moses had led uh, the, the children of Israel out of bondage. He led them in the freedom away from the Pharaoh. They've, they've crossed the Red Sea. They've been traveling for about just about two years, which based on the distance of where they left and where they were at this point, they were moving pretty slow. It wasn't that long of a walk, but there were lots and lots of people. And they're coming up on this place called Kadesh. And at Kadesh, they're getting ready to cross Jordan and, and go into the promised land. And when they made that move, they would have their own country, they would have their own home, they would have their own land, they would have freedom, they wouldn't be in slavery anymore. It was just there, just across the river. And Moses says, uh, just before they go in, I, I want to send in some spies to kind of see what we're up against. And so Moses picks 12 guys to go in and kind of spy out the land and if you grew up in church you've heard this story if, if you didn't maybe this is your first time it's a great story to read but uh when when those 12 spies return um there's this mixed report there's a mixed review about the promised land joshua and caleb say it's incredible it's perfect God has given us the promised land. This is ours. 
the other 10 spies, they come back, and they're like, yeah, it's a really great place, man. I mean, look at the fruit. I mean, this is just an incredible place, but... And they have this list of problems as to why they can't go in, why they can't take it. And in that moment, those 10 spies are seeing with eyes of what? Fear, not eyes of faith. And one of Pastor Mark's points when he preached it on a couple months ago was that nobody remembers the names of the 10 spies who were looking through eyes of fear, um, who said it can't be done. The people who are remembered are Joshua and Caleb, the two guys that said, let's do this. We can take this. We can, we can make this happen. They saw with eyes of faith. The other 10 saw with eyes of fear. Now the story goes on that because they failed to see with eyes of faith, God basically says, I'm not going to let this generation into the promised land. You're going to die off. And they wandered around in the wilderness for another 40 years or so until that generation died off. That is what I don't want to have happen to New Life Church. For us to aimlessly wander around in the wilderness unnecessarily and this generation die off without seeing the hand of God at work. Because we didn't see through eyes of faith. That's what I don't want to have happen. Now, I've spent a lot of time here on the, the introduction. Let me show you what happens when you see through eyes of fear rather than eyes of faith from this story. And here's the first one. When we look through eyes of fear, we exaggerate our difficulties. Now, think of this. God has delivered them from Egypt. God has delivered them from the most powerful nation in the world. And yet now they are worried about some little local tribe. You know, when you, when you look at your problems with eyes of fear, they get bigger. The more you look at your problem at, with eyes of fear, the more exaggerated your problems get. Bit. The only way I can really think to describe it is have you ever had stuck a bad piece of steak in your mouth? A bad piece of steak. Some are going, no, never had a bad piece of steak. Well, there's some of them. And uh, the more you chew it and try to swallow it and chew it and try to swallow what happens? It just gets bigger in your mouth. Um, the more you look at your problem, the more exaggerated it gets. Somebody critices, criticizes you and you think about it and you dwell on it. And then before the day is over, it's like the whole world might as well have been criticizing you. It grows by proportion. Look at verses 27 and 28 in chapter 13. They gave Moses this account. We went to the land to which you sent us, and it does flow with milk and honey. Here's its fruit. But the people who live there are powerful, and the cities are fortified and very large. We even saw descendants of Anak there. Now move down to verse 31. But the men who had gone up with him said, we can't attack those people. They are stronger than we are. And they spread among the Israelites a bad report about the land they had explored. They said, the land we explored devours those who are living in it. All the people we see, all the people we saw there are of great size. Listen, can I tell you this? The majority report nine out of 10 times is always going to be negative. Anybody who's going to get anything done in our world 
anybody who's going to accomplish anything is going to have to go against the majority report most of the time. Because most people tend to look through eyes of fear rather than faith. They, they said, these people will, will crush us. These people will eat us alive. These people are giants. And only two came back. Joshua and Caleb went against the majority report, looking through eyes of faith and said, we can do this. We can make this happen. Side note, negative attitudes are contagious. Man, negative attitudes will spread things like wildfire. But here's, here's what's ironic. Here's, here's what might be the coolest part of the story. Um, they said, you know, this place is filled with giants. They're going to destroy us. They're going to kill us, and we can't take them on. They're too big. They're too powerful. But 38 years later, check this out, 38 years later, when the next generation did go in and take the promised land, you know what the enemy said? They said, we've lived in fear of you guys for 40 years out there wandering around our walls. We've literally lived in fear because we heard about the 10 plagues of Egypt. Because we heard about how your God handled the most powerful leader in our world, the Pharaoh. And, and when they went in to conquer this land, the enemy that was within the land said, we were scared to death of you. We were ready to just lay our arms down and surrender as soon as you walked in. And basically they said, you guys needlessly walked around in the wilderness for 40 years because we were scared of you. You see, when we look through eyes of fear, our problems are exaggerated. Here's another one in verse 13. We under, underestimate our own abilities. We exaggerate the problem. We underestimate our own abilities. Look at verse 13, the second part. We seem like grasshoppers in our own eyes. And check this out. And we look the same to them. This is the epitome of low self-esteem. We're just a bunch of little bugs ready to be squashed by these guys. And oh, to them, we look the same, like we're just a bunch of little bugs ready to be squashed by them. How do they know what they looked like in the eyes of the enemy? They didn't. What they were doing was projecting. They were projecting their fears onto everybody else around them and, and what they were doing. They... they they had been slaves for 400 years in Egypt. They've been free for the last 40 years. For 40 years, they've not been in slavery, but they were still mentally enslaved, not by a pharaoh, but by a self-concept. And that preaches. When... When we see with eyes of fear, we exaggerate our problems, we overestimate our problems and underestimate our abilities. When we see with eyes of fear, we get discouraged. Look at, move over to chapter 14, verse 1. That night, all the members of the community raised their voices and wept aloud. Now, this one's self-explanatory. They have this giant pity party. Poor us, we're not going to be able to get into the promised land, even though God assured us that we'd be able to. 
But here's the question. What's keeping them away from God's promise? What's keeping them out of the promised land? Yeah, they're looking through eyes of fear. They're not looking through eyes of faith. They're not living by faith. And then we quickly move from discouragement to uh, griping. You know, we start to gripe about our life. Look in the next verse, verse 2. All the Israelites grumbled against Moses and Aaron, and the whole assembly said to them, if we only had died in Egypt or in, or in this wilderness. So, so first they're crying, then they're complaining. It's discontentment. And by the way, side note, this is extra. Critical people are insecure people. Show me someone who's critical. I'll show you someone who's insecure. These folks are dominated by fear. And then moving on to verse 3, we eventually give up and we blame God. Verse 3, why is the Lord bringing us to this land only to let us fall by the sword? Our wives and children will be taken as plunder. Wouldn't it be better for us to go back to Egypt? In other words, they think they know better than God knows. They're blaming God for not allowing them to get into the promised land, but God's not the one holding them back. Their fear is holding them back. They're second-guessing that you could even go as far to say that they're remembering the good old days back in Egypt. You know what the good old days were back in Egypt? 400 years of slavery. Why would anybody want to go back to Egypt? Why would anybody want to go back to that slavery? Because in their minds, even though it was slavery and it had a lot of bad things with it, it was safe. They knew what was going on. They knew where they were. They knew what they were up again. It was safe slavery. And many... Many folks today get stuck in what you might call safe slavery. They're enslaved by a relationship. Well, I know this relationship is horrible for me and it's not great, and it's da, 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 but at least I know what I'm working with. Or by fear, or by habit, they don't like whatever it is that's holding them captive, but at least it's predictable. At least I know what's in Egypt, at least I know what to expect in Egypt. And what they were doing is confusing slavery with safety. What we do is confuse slavery with safety. That there is no real freedom without taking risks. Safety and freedom are on opposite ends of the continuum. You are either moving towards safety and slavery or you are moving toward taking risks and freedom. One or the other. Now... Let's contrast that with what the Bible says happens when we live not seeing through eyes of fear, but eyes of faith. Learning to look at things not as they are, but as they should be. How, how do you do that, and what difference does it make in your life? Let me give you a couple things. First of all, faith shrinks my problems. Faith gives me a new perspective. When you see your problems from God's point, when you see your challenges from God's point of view, then everything gets more manageable. If you have a big, pro uh, big God, problems get small. If you have big problems, God gets small. Um, 
When you come to God and say, God, you're a big God. I know you can handle this problem. I, I give it to you and I trust you with it. I, I know you'll take care of it. Then I'm choosing to look through eyes of faith. And it's then that you realize that everything is not dependent upon you. And there's a freedom in that. That's the way I am with our church, New Life Church. This isn't my church. It's not my money. It's not my members. It's not my mud. It's God's thing. I'm just the caretaker. And so what that means at the end of the day is when we face problems at our church, it's his problem, it's not mine. And there's a freedom in that. There's a peace in that that can't be explained. Genesis 18, 14, is anything too hard for the Lord? And the answer is what? No. Luke 1, 37, Jesus said, for with God, nothing is impossible. In other words, the word impossible is not in God's vocabulary. Faith shrinks my problems. Faith opens the door for miracles. Faith can move mountains. If you study the Bible, you'll see that every time God did a miracle is because somebody had faith. Somebody believed. Jesus said this in Mark 11. He said, have faith in God, Jesus answered. Truly I tell you, if anyone says, says to this mountain, go throw yourself into the sea and does not doubt it in their heart, but believes that they what they say will happen it will be done for them therefore i tell you whatever you ask for in prayer believe that you have received it and it will be yours now what's what's he talking about here all this stuff about a mountain jumping into the sea let me say this first of all this passage has been misused and abused by some of the name it claim it folks okay it's been misinterpreted that's not what i'm talking about but at the end of the day, hear me, God has set up the universe in a hierarchy of laws. And what Jesus is saying here is that the laws of faith are higher than the laws of nature. That's where miracles come in. Does God still perform miracles today? Yes. Ask yourself, what mountain needs to be removed in your life? God moves mountains. He's in the mountain moving business. And then faith moves God to act on my behalf. Now, don't misunderstand. This doesn't mean God's like your personal genie in a bottle. Matthew 9, 29. Then he touched their eyes and said, according to your faith, let it be done to you. Basically, God says... You choose how much I bless your life. If you expect God to do little, he'll do little. If you expect God to do a lot, he'll do a lot. If you expect God to do nothing, he'll do nothing. God is not moved by my complaining or griping or whining. God is moved when I say, I'm trusting you. Now, a couple weeks ago, I, I shared the vision of our church. And uh, if you weren't here, can, can I first of all say this? If you were not here, you need to listen to that. We, all of our sermons are housed on YouTube. Don't listen to it while you're playing golf. Don't listen to it while you're working on the building. Don't listen to it while you got a room full. Listen to it and say, God, speak to me. If you were not here, 
because I shared the vision of our church. And, and by the way, I, we shared these. If, if you didn't get one of these yet, we have those at the Welcome Center. Take one of these. It, it, it gives so much explanation for our vision. It has sermon notes, pages for our sermons over the series, prayers, all kinds of things. Be sure to get one of these for every individual. But two weeks ago, I basically ended the sermon when I cast the vision. I, I basically said, can we set our human limitations aside just for a few weeks? Can we set our fears and our anxieties and all the what ifs? Can we set it aside? And say, God, what do you think about this? Corporately, yes, as we talk about ministry space expansion, but not just corporately, personally. We set all of our human limitations and fears aside. Can we let God out of the box? And can we imagine the fact that we serve, I, here's how I said it, that we serve the God who owns the cattle on a thousand hills and all the taters in them hills. Can we just imagine? Imagine it corporately. Imagine it personally. What's it mean for your life personally? here's what I don't want to have happen as I said earlier I don't want us to be the generation that sees through eyes of fear rather than faith and so God says okay you guys just do your thing we're going to let you die off and then I'll do my work with the next generation that's what we don't want to have happen corporately or personally Lord I pray that you would help us this seems like such a simple principle to talk about, but it is a whole other ordeal to live. And it doesn't happen quick, necessarily. It takes time. Lord, I pray that you would help us when, when we're tempted to look through eyes of fear, that you would just tap us on the shoulder and say, why don't you look at that the way I see it? Why don't you look at that as if you serve the God who knows every hair on your head and, and not one sparrow falls out of the sky without his permission? Why don't you look at it that way? May we be that church and may we be that as individuals, followers of you. Lord, we want to experience your glory. And that's how it's going to happen.
Yes, church, our God is worthy of our praise. Amen. You guys can have a seat. My name is Ryan Wolf, and I am our teen life pastor here at New Life. And it is so good to worship together in the house of the Lord. If you are new here this morning, welcome. It's so good to have you. We are so glad that God has called you here to be with us. We'd love to get to meet you and hear a little bit about your story and get you connected. And, and so if you would, come find me or another person on our staff out in the lobby. We'd love to get to, to meet you. And also, if you would, take a few seconds just to fill out the welcome card in the seat back in front of you. Take that out to the welcome desk. Uh, we will exchange that for a free gift just to say thank you for being with us this morning. Well, we are excited for the many discipleship opportunities that are coming up with this Daring Faith series. First off is our uh, Daring Faith devotional booklets. We have those out in the lobby at one of our kiosks. Please pick those up if you have not done so yet. These are extremely important. They include a little bit about our past, a little bit about our future, and, and most importantly, uh, devotionals and sermon notes to help you grow uh, in your discipleship to Jesus throughout the week, to take this conversation into your homes and, and to continue helping you grow. So please, please pick one up if you have not done so yet out in the lobby at one of our kiosks. And bring that back next week because we have sermon notes for you to take during the sermon. Another opportunity that we're, we're having for this Daring Faith series is our Daring Faith Life Groups. And those are starting this week. If you, are, if you are craving and desiring for authentic Christian community to, 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 to really just gather and talk about what, what this Daring Faith looks like practically, please take a look at our open groups that are meeting for Daring Faith. Again, they're starting this week. It is not too late to sign up, but we have plenty of open groups that are, are saying, hey, we're going to commit to continuing this conversation together in community. So if you are desiring that, uh, please take a look at our open groups. And then lastly, coming up on Sunday, October 8th, at 10.30, we will not be here. We'll be over on the campus of Mount Vernon Nazarene University in their chapel for one service. It's going to be an awesome time just to gather and to be one church family and to worship together and spend that morning together as one family. So uh, on Sunday, October 8th, do not come here. You're going to want to go over to the MVU Chapel for our one service at 10.30. Well, church, I don't know what, what giants you're facing this moment or today it could be the fourth quarter with a minute and 26 seconds to go with an inexperienced quarterback and two timeouts and we got to go 65 yards but we know how that turned out our God is faithful and he will prove himself faithful time and time again be blessed as you go this week we'll see you next week